Okay. Um, good morning. Ladies, wow. Thank you. Thank you. If this is your first time at Abide, I want to take a moment to just welcome you and tell you how thankful we are that you are here. Am I doing something funny here? You can get this down check this morning. Let me yeah. push it back for you, and that way it won't pop. There we go. Perfect. Very good. Thank you. Um, if you have been to Abide before, we're so glad you came back. And if you're anything like me, you might have been wondering if we would ever get here. So um, I want to apologize if um, the rescheduling caused you any inconvenience. But um, having said that, um, actually, let's pray again. If you would pray with me. Oh, Father, how thankful we are that we do not have to be enslaved to fear. And I pray as we start this journey, oh, you will open our eyes and ears to what you would have for us. And we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. The New York Times, in October of 2017, ran an article entitled, Why Are More American Teenagers Than Ever Suffering from Severe Anxiety? It told the story of a young teenager named Jake. He was from the suburbs of North Carolina. He was described as likable and hardworking and a kid that never failed at anything he attempted. And then failing became one of his biggest fears. He worried that he wouldn't be able to keep up with his peers and be successful. He thought people were judging him and that he was never able to be good enough. He was convinced that he would never be able to get into his dream college, which was UNC Chapel Hill. School became impossible. His stomach hurt. He had migraines. The normal nervousness one experiences when you walk into a room and learn about a pop quiz, he said he had that all the time. His primary doctor prescribed medications, but that did not help. In fact, it seemed to make things worse. He would go on to attempt to drown himself in a bathtub. His mother described the ordeal as the depth of hell. He was eventually sent to a residential treatment center where they would attempt to teach him ways to deal with his anxiety. It would cost $910 a day, and he was there for months. A 2016 article claimed that students are getting more anxious every decade, and according to a report in Psychology Today, the rates of anxiety among children and adolescents are much higher now than they were during the Depression, World War II, and the Cold War. Robert Leahy, he's a psychologist and author, he famously made this statement, quote, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s, end quote. And it's not just students that are anxious. New surveys results show Americans' anxiety levels are, have sharp increase in the past year and that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. Sociologists who measure anxiety levels of entire nations have determined that the U.S. is by far the most anxious nation on earth. 
It said that developing nations where people struggle for basic needs like clean water have markedly less anxiety than Americans. One survey gave the example of Nigeria and how they were up to five times less likely to show clinically significant anxiety levels. What are we anxious about? Many things. But according to a recent APA poll, the top three were safety, health, and finances. Most every article offered some explanation as to why we were so anxious. But that is really the easy question. It is not rocket science as to why we are anxious. The hard question is what can be done about it. How do we become less anxious? How are we to deal with worry and anxiety in our lives? If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to jump in at verse 25. And as we're reading, I want you to watch for the repetition. Okay, here we go. Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory has not arrayed like one of these, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." This semester, we are going to be studying Ed Welch's book, When I Am Afraid, and the topic of worry and anxiety. And to be honest, I can't believe that we haven't studied this before. This morning, we are going to uh, mostly be in this passage. It is considered to be one of the most prominent on the topic. We're also going to be looking at chapter one from your book. So I would highly recommend that this week you go back and read that first chapter. All right, it's, it's not long. I think you're going to find that the homework in this semester is, um, is shorter than the homework that we had last semester. So go back, read chapter one, and then next week come prepared with having done chapter two. 
right? That's what we'll study next week. And so your discussion in your small group will be on chapter two. All right, this morning, we want to do a bit of an overview, get a broad look at the topic of worry and anxiety. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to zoom in and get um, some of the details. Okay, if you are following along with a handout, here is your first quote, or first point, and it's a quote from the book. Number one, to be human is to be afraid. If you are alive and breathing, then you know what it is like to experience worry and fear. Everyone knows what it is like to be afraid or to worry to some degree. One of the things that I noticed as I was preparing for this course is this is a topic that just crosses and transcends all borders. No matter your age, sadly you do not outgrow this, no matter your financial status or your culture or your gender, everyone understands what it is like to be worried or anxious. It's universal. You don't ever have to wonder, oh, if I'm, am I alone in, in being worrying and being anxious because you're not. Now, if you are a millennial, it's said that it is especially hard for you. The researchers call you the anxious generation. And while worry and anxiety affects both genders, supposedly it is worse for women. So that's the bad news. All right, now here's the good news. The Bible addresses it. The Bible addresses it and speaks much about it. All right, here's our next point, and it's also from the book. Number two, do not be afraid is the most frequent command in the Bible. Now, next to this point, you can write the number 300 plus because uh, apparently more than 300 times God commands his people, do not be afraid. God is very alert to your fears and the way that he speaks of them so frequently indicates his concern for them. Now, in this passage, we're going to see um, Jesus is going to mention the word anxious six times. Did you notice that? It was a repeated word throughout this chapter. And so that's a good word to define. Now, I will say this. Some of your versions might be using the word worry, and they are interchangeable. Okay, but let me give you a definition for this. I have it on your handout. It is the word merimnau. And that expresses a strong feeling for something or someone, often to the point of being burdened. Okay, now in a very broad sense, the word means to be concerned or careful or to care. Okay, that's the broad sense of it. It's a po it can be a positive thing. The word itself is actually neutral. So if you're going to, in order to determine the meaning, you have to understand the context that it is in. Okay, and in the New Testament, most of the time it is used to refer to anxious concern. It's used in a negative way. Okay, so for that reason, it's translated worry and anxious. Now, also in the Greek, this is important to know too. I have this on your paper. It is, uh, the word is a combination of two Greek words. The word merizo, which means to divide, and the word nous, meaning mind. So you put those two together, and the word worry or anxious literally means to have a divided mind, to have a double mind instead of a single focused mind. Okay, and if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that that's, that's a problem. 
Okay? So when we worry or we are anxious, we are torn. Okay? We have a divided mind. All right, now three times in this passage alone, Jesus is going to say, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. And you know, when we first hear that, it sounds very comforting and very soothing. But we need to understand that, that it's more than that. Jesus is giving us a command. When, every time we read this, these are commands. Jerry Bridges says they have the full force of a moral command. That brings us to our next point. Number three, anxiety is sin. Jerry Bridges refers to it as one of the respectable sins. Another author called it the sin we excuse. The one, one of the most socially acceptable sins of our day, often viewed as a virtue. I wonder, have you viewed your worry as a virtue? You know, it's easy. We, we easily think of adultery, that's a sin. Lying, cheating, stealing, those are sins. But we don't like putting our worry in that category, do we? You know, so often, especially women, we say things like, well, I worry because I care so much. Or I worry because I love so much. It's very easy to, to whitewash that. All right, brings us to our next point. Number four on your papers. Worry never accomplishes anything useful or productive. In fact, it's counterproductive. Now, if I were you, I would put a big star next to this one because this is one that we are going to have to constantly, constantly remind ourselves when we start to worry, this isn't helping. Okay? Anxiety produces nothing, accomplishes nothing. It accomplishes nothing useful or productive. I want you to look at verse 27. Jesus said, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Now, some of your translations may say a single cubit to your life. Now, the cubit was traditionally the measure between the, the bottom of your elbow to the top of your middle finger. And it was about 18 inches. So it was also traditionally thought of the measurement of one step. Which of you, by being anxious, can add one step to your life? What's the answer to that? None. None of us can. In fact, experts tell us that worry will likely lead to a shorter life, that it's physically harmful for you. Okay, so if I'm not to worry and I'm not to be anxious... All right, does that mean that I'm to mentally check out? That I'm to be neutral about everything? Let's say we hear that there's a terrible hurricane on the way and it's supposed to bring lots of destruction. You know, um, uh, should we not worry or care about it? Maybe we should just put it out of our mind and not think of it at all. What is he saying? Here's our next point, number five. There is a difference between anxiety and genuine concern. Okay, we want to be real clear about this. When Jesus says, don't worry, he is not saying don't care or quit caring 
or don't concern yourself with those flood victims or taking care of your children or paying your bills. We, we definitely want to make a distinction here. Caring and being concerned, those are good things. Okay. Now, in fact, I want to be very clear about what anxiety is not. Do not be anxious does not mean that you will not have intense spiritual concerns or burdens. Okay? It doesn't mean that we're to have a Pollyanna approach to life. And I would remind you of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or Paul, every time he writes a letter, you can read on the pages and sense his, his passion and his uh, concern about things. So, Jesus is not exempting us from caring about earthly matters. When Tim Keller teaches on this subject, he points out the need to distinguish between fear and healthy fear. He says healthy fear galvanizes you to take action. All right, for instance, you see a car barreling toward you. Healthy fear says, get out of the way. There is a car coming at you. All right, that would be uh, an example of healthy fear. Healthy fear has motivated you to take action in a responsible way. Okay? Now, uh, let's, uh, let's think of another example. Let's say your child falls down and cuts his face. All right? You uh, experience an immediate concern and, um, and fear, and you have maybe a, a rush of adrenaline, and you, and you go to the child, and you begin to clean him, and you're looking at the wound, and you're trying to console him, and you're, and you're trying to assess what kind of action to take. Your fear and concern have motivated you to do something. All right, now let's think about the flip side. Um, let's say that your child uh, falls and gets hurt and you see blood and you go to him and you begin to um, clean the wound and you're beginning to uh, try to comfort him. And on your way to the Band-Aids, you think, oh, I wonder if this is going to mean a trip to um, uh, urgent care. Oh, wow, there's $300 we don't have. And not only that, I am probably going to catch something while I'm sitting in the waiting room. <laughs> and he's probably going to have a scar on his face. This is going to need a plastic surgeon. And, and you're, have you ever done that? Where all of a sudden your mind takes off and is thinking of all these different scenarios? Jake the young fellow from the article, he said he would do that. He would say, I would think that if I got a bad grade in class, then I wouldn't be able to get into college, and then I wouldn't be able to get the job that I wanted, and then I would be a total failure. Do you see that? He went from quiz to total failure in just a matter of sentences. Here's our next point. Number six, worry and anxiety live in the future. Live in the future. I want you to look at verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Okay? When it comes to your fears, you can have something take place that is truly dangerous, and, and you have a sense of that danger, and you take action. But anxiety and worry are different. Okay? They aren't so much oriented to the present. They're all about the future. They're saying, I think there's going to be danger tomorrow. I mean, I'm looking at all this stuff that's going on in my life, and I'm afraid of what might happen in the future. Okay? You begin predicting. Ed Welch says, fear and worry are prophecies. We're thinking about stuff that might happen in the future. We're making prophecies. And here's what he says. We're going to make it our, our point number seven. Number seven, worriers are false prophets. 
He says they are visionaries, less the optimism. We worry and we imagine all sorts of things and they aren't true or partially true. I want you to remember in the Old Testament, it was the prophets that spoke about the future and sometimes they had some bad stuff that they had to, be, they had to predict, but they had to be 100% accurate. They had to be accurate all the time. If they got one prediction wrong, one tiny little detail, then they were to be considered a false prophet. Unless you are 100% accurate with the predictions that your worry and your anxiety are making, you, my friend, are being a false prophet. And you need to quit listening to yourself because you're a false prophet. Ed Welch asks the question, what prediction is your fear making? Now, that raises another, a couple other questions it raises from this passage. Jesus said, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Now, let's be clear. Is Jesus saying we're not to be concerned about future things? Or never think or plan about the future? Is he? Is he saying that? No, he's not saying that. Uh, wise planning, being prepared, those are all good things. Very biblical concept. We are told to look forward and plan for the return of Jesus. Okay, so um, being concerned about the, um, uh, the future is good. We're just not to worry about the future. You're not to have negative concern. You're not to be divided or torn up about those things. That would be a sinful response. Okay, and, and the second thing. Is Jesus saying, all right, don't worry, because now that you're a follower of me, everything is going to be smooth sailing and you're not going to have any troubles. Okay, yeah, he's not saying that either. Uh, in fact, I want you to see what he is saying. He's actually promising that you will have troubles. Did you see that? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So on one hand, he's promising us trouble, but on the other hand, he's telling us not to worry about it. Now, how does that work? Well, in this Matthew passage, most preachers, when they work through it, they will find about eight different reasons not to worry. Now, we're not going to go over them all today. We may hit a few. But I want you to see in verse 25. Verse 25, Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. All right, we're going to see in this course, that, or, or, no, we're going to see in this passage that Jesus is going to identify things, different things that people are ordinarily concerned about and that you might be tempted to worry about, and then he's going to address them. And we're going to do something very similar over the next um, six weeks. If you take a look at your table of contents, you'll be able to see what direction we're going. But that brings me to my next point, and that is number eight. The first step toward overcoming your fears is to locate them. One author wrote that one of the healthiest things you can do is to name your worry. I am worried about blank. Fill it in. She recommended to name it, locate it, and then ask yourself if there is anything you can actually do about it. Now, as I was preparing for this course, I, had, I went through a number of different books on worry and anxiety. And everyone at some point asked me to list my fears, write them out, identify them, and um, 
identify what I'm anxious about, that's a very healthy assignment. Now, in your first chapter of the book, Ed Welch is going to advise us to listen to our fears. And then he explains what he means by that. Um, emotions, he says, are a kind of language. They say something. And your fears are saying something, and you would be wise to listen to them. All right? He has a, another book. It's much longer. It's called Running Scared. And it works together with this book. But in that book, he expounds on this. And he tells us that there are some general themes that start to emerge when you listen to your fears. And I thought we should go over those this morning. And so I have on your paper uh, a box where I have these things. We can fill them in and go over them. And remember, these are things that your fears are saying. All right? And you might notice some overlap. But here's the first one. A, I am in danger. Okay? Sometimes your fears are saying, I am in danger. Life is dangerous. Okay, and there are legitimate dangers in this world. Okay, and sometimes your fears are telling you that. Now, for me, uh, personally, I can think of times, um, not so much recently, but in the past, where I would be sitting in the car with my husband, and he's driving faster than I would like, and I begin, I can feel myself getting anxious and antsy because I feel like my life is in danger. Okay, <laughs> that, would be, that would be this one. All right, now the next one's closely to it. And that is B, I could die. I could die. Or someone I love could die. All right? And this can be a major, major concern of anxiety. Fear of death. Fear of the way you're going to die. Fear of what happens after you die. All right? Are the root of a lot of fear and anxiety for people. Now, obviously, Christians should have a different um, uh, perspective on this and handle, handle this differently than a non-believer, but nonetheless is something that your fears might be saying. All right, here's the next one. C, I am vulnerable. I am vulnerable. Okay, now with this one, in many ways, what your fear is saying is, I am not in control. Okay, and that can be, that can make a lot of people feel very anxious. All right, um, we don't like feeling powerless, and it makes us anxious. Um, you send your children to school. And someone else takes care of them. And someone else is making decisions about them. And that may cause, um, uh, that may prompt some major anxiety. Some of you may struggle with submitting to your own husband because when you do that, you're not in control. And that may cause you some anxious feelings. All right, some of you like to have everything in order a certain way. And when that becomes threatened, you start to feel anxious. Because uh, your fears are saying, I am vulnerable. I am not in control. All right, here's the last one. D, I need and I might not get. Ed Welch points out there is a close connection between what we fear and what we think we need. Okay, they're always going to be related. All right, now let's say that you know that your child needs to be in bed by 7 o'clock. Okay, if he's not in bed, uh, things fall apart and they start to get very ugly. Um, and so you know that if your child's not in bed by 7 o'clock, you're going to pay for it. All right, so you're out with friends and family and it's starting to get late and you're looking at your watch and you're starting to get anxious and you're nagging at the husband and you're trying to get things moving on because you know you need to get your kid at home. You know that I might not get what we need. All right, now... Um, this one in particular uh, was very uh, convicting for me 
because I realized that all of my anxiety, almost all of my anxiety and worry could be traced back to this one. Or it's a more selfish sister, I might not get what I want. You know, I, um, I personally feel that I need to be comfortable and pain-free. You know, I, 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 I need food. I need space. I need peace. I need quiet. So when I start to feel like those things are being threatened, you know, I, I, I start to get anxious. I start to get worried. I start my fretting. Um, as I mentioned earlier in this book, uh, or earlier in this lesson, um, I had been asked several times to write down the things that I fear. And the first time I did that uh, was actually a bit of a praise session because I found myself writing all these things that I was no longer anxious about. I thought, wow, you know, that, 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 that used to really tear me up, and now I'm just not anxious about it anymore. So at first, it was, it was this praise session, but um, I ended up having a very long list of things that I fear, things that I'm concerned about, or no, things that I'm anxious about, things, things that I'm worried about. But still, I, um, I felt like I had made some progress, so I actually found myself uh, saying these words, Lord, I'm starting to get better at trusting you. And then that night, that very night, uh, my husband came home and he said, hey, um, my sister thinks that we need to have, do something special for my uh, parents' 60th wedding anniversary. And I said, uh, yeah, I, I agree. In fact, I'm way ahead of you. I've kind of got some ideas that I've been thinking of things we could do. And he said, um, he thinks that the whole family needs to be involved. She thinks that. And um, we need to do it here. I was thinking there. <laughs> and, and do you know in that one sentence, oh, man. I took a tailspin. As you know, we were supposed to have Rosaria Butterfield Conference um, last week, and it was going to be on radical hospitality. Sadly, my initial response did not involve hospitality. <laughs> Within seconds, I had about 10 different scenarios running through my mind. I began predicting. I began prophesying. I had visions of chaos just coming and entering into my house, which if you know our family, that is not an unfounded prediction. <laughs> when the family gets together, it's chaotic. But I had visions of my carpets being trashed and my furniture being trashed and relatives moving in and <laughs> large sums of money just going on my credit card and out. Um, can I tell you then... I was immediately struck with how something so simple could shake my faith so quickly. And then I realized the very ugly truth of what my fears and worries were saying about me. I realized I might not get what I need. I might have to work instead of rest. I might have to host instead of be hosted. I might have to entertain instead of sleep. I could lose sleep over this. I might not get what I need. 
Can I tell you that not a single prediction came true? Not one of those worries materialized. Now, that's what he means by listening to your fears and locating the source. Here's our next point, number nine. Our fears and worries will always point to what we value and love. They are connected. You love your children. You want them to be happy and comfortable, so naturally you had fears and worries about them. You love your own comfort, and so naturally you fear pain and discomfort. You value being respected and loved, so you fear rejection. If you take a hard look at the things that we are fearing, we will not only see a connection between what we think we need but also what we value and love. A good question to ask yourself when you are anxious or fearful is, what do these fears say that I love? That could be a very revealing question. I've been learning to ask myself that lately when I start to feel myself becoming anxious and attempt to locate the source, and I've discovered some very ugly things. I found myself realizing Wow, you love money. You love what money can buy. You love the comfort. You love the fun. This is all about money. Or this is all about your comfort. You love your own comfort. Or honor. Turns out I love my own honor. What do these fears say that I love? After you have located your fear, I am fearful about blank. Fill that space in. This is a next great question to ask. Hard question. It might turn up some real ugly stuff, but it's a good one to ask. Here's our next point, number 10. Our fears and worries always say something about our relationship with God. What you are fearing and what you are worrying about will always reveal something about your relationship with God. They reveal what you know about God. They reveal what you believe about God. They reveal what you trust. Jesus, in verse 30, says, Oh, you of little faith, our worries always say something about our relationship with God. The reality is that every time... Every one of my fears and anxieties always communicates some form of this. Lord, I am not sure that I can trust you with this. Yes, I trusted you to die on the cross. I trusted you to, that you, that you um, rose from the dead. I trust that you paid for my sin and that because of that, I can be reconciled with God. I believe and trust you for that. But... I'm not sure I can trust you with this financial problem or this hosting gig. I might lose something I loved. I'm not sure I can trust you with my children and my grandchildren. I mean, I love them so much. I'm not sure I can trust your will for them. What if it's not the same as mine? Our fears and our worries 
will always say something about our relationship and knowledge of God because our fears and worries have everything to do about God. A good second question to ask is, what do these fears say I trust in? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in money or good doctors or healthy diets? Are you trusting in the government or a good job or an education? Those are all good things. But when the troubles hit, it'll be a different story because they cannot deliver. What is it you're trusting in. Jerry Bridges writes that anxiety is the opposite of trust. John MacArthur says anxiety is blatant distrust of the power and love of God. Here's our next point, number 11. Anxiety and faith cannot live together. They cannot live together. Anxiety is incompatible with faith. In fact, I want you to see something. According to Jesus, anxiety is something that characterizes pagans. All right, look at this. It's something pagans are known for. Look back at verse 30. Verse 30, he says this, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. All right, Gentiles seek after these things. Some of your versions may say pagans, okay? Pagans seek after these things. Jesus is making a distinction between the way the Gentiles, the pagans, how they handled their worries and anxieties, and the way that the children of God are to handle all of theirs. He says the pagans, they're the ones that are seeking and worried about their safety and their health and their finances. They're pagans. They don't know God. They don't know what God is like. And so they seek the wrong things and they worry. And so when we worry, we act like pagans. In fact, I would write in very big letters on your paper as a wonderful reminder, pagans worry. Pagans worry. But that brings me to our next point. And that is number 12. The battle against anxiety only works if God is sovereign. Okay, and I want to explain what I mean by that, or what, that mean, what I mean by that. The only reason that God can say things like, do not fear, or do not be afraid, or do not be anxious, is because he is loving and he is sovereign. Okay? He is in complete control of everything. He feeds the birds. He makes the grass grow. If he were not sovereign, if he were not in perfect control, then those words would be meaningless and would offer you no comfort. But he is sovereign and trusting, and that sovereignty is going to be key in our dealing with our anxieties. Key. Now, I want you to look at verse 33. Some say this is the key passage, key verse of the passage. It says this, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first 
the kingdom of God. I want to give you a good definition for that, um, what it means to seek first the kingdom. I have this on your paper. It is a quote from Kevin DeYoung. He writes this. It means, seek the kingdom of God means be consumed with the kingdom. Be consumed with seeing God's reign and rule over your life, your family, and your church. Let me ask you, does that describe you? Does that describe the way you approach your life? What is consuming you? How would your children answer that about you? Is it, is, is it God's reign over your life? Is it the spread of the gospel? Is it the spread of God's glory? Or is it worry? Are you consumed with the worries about your life? Do you have a divided mind? Or do you have a single focused mind on the kingdom of God? Here's the good news. <clears throat> it's nice to end with good news. The good news is, if it is worry, there is a cure for that. There is a cure for that. And um, this is our last point, and it's going to be our goal for this semester. It's going to be what we chase after, and that is number 13, worry has a remedy. Seek the kingdom of God first. Would you pray with me? Father God, I have no doubt that this is a room of women that worry. And I can only say that because I know how I worry. And I'm not alone in that. Oh, Father, would you just come alongside us and help us to have a biblical, a biblical perspective on worry and anxiety. Oh, I pray that this will just be the day that things change Oh, Father, I pray that you will help us to be women that don't live like the pagans, but that live as girls that, and women that have been set free. Now, Father, I pray that you'll just go before us and help these small groups. I pray it's a time for, um, for sharing and bonding and just uh, glorifying you. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, this morning, if you are not sure which group you're in or where to go, you can see me or Tammy knows as well um, and see you here next week on Chapter 2. <laughs>